Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Could you tell where my head Back in on the Gabe Goon Show, 929 FM ESPN. We have a lot to talk about on Tiger basketball. I know we've already uh, sort of laid it out. Penny Hardaway, his postgame remarks, two straight losses, North Texas on the road at SMU yesterday, and that one was just. Absolutely miserable. But we bring on Parthup and Yai, Memphis Tigers basketball beat reporter for the Daily Memphian. He is on X at Yai underscore Parth. What's the word, man? Man, that was a that was a tough watch. You know, <laughs> no matter yeah, it was. no matter if you were you know rooting for the Tigers or covering the Tigers or whatever, that was just a tough watch, man. Um, <laughs> that was beyond a tough watch. Yeah, that's on. I like one oh six seventy nine, and it was man. never close. It was never close. And no, what, it was what, over by the five minute, you know, whatever the yeah, fifteen and, minute mark of the first. Here's half. the thing: like, what was it? A minute and fifteen when he brought in subs. Yep. And then no one really had some any edge about them. I'm just going to start here. Did, did, did they quit? I mean, I, I think there's no other way to look at it besides. Okay, David Jones, sure, thirty three points. He was solid from the field. I thought defensively he was pretty. He struggled all day, and he's really struggled all season. But it felt like everybody on that team collectively. Let go of the rope and said, "Yeah, this this season's lost." I mean, they obviously quit. You could you could see it. It was evident, you know, um, just watching the game. And you ask asked Penny afterward. I was like, "Hey, do you think that players have quit on this season?" Um, and you know, he made sure to say, "No, not all players. That that wouldn't be fair." But you know, some of them have quit on the season. He wouldn't name names, but um, you know, David Jones kind of said the same thing, and it just kind of echoed the the same thing that we saw with our own eyes. Yeah, quite frankly, I, and and man. Thinking about where this team was about a month and a half, two months ago to where they are now, I just can't think of a of a fall from grace quite like this in college basketball history. Like, I just cannot think of one off the top of my head. North Carolina last year was preseason number well, one. Oh, yeah, but that was, was it, preseason, but they never thing, really were good. Take off. They never really, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They were never good. This so. team had this moment where they were 11-2 coming into the, uh, out of the non-con. They were solid, I guess, to start the, the – uh, the uh, conference season, uh, but they, but but, but there were chinks in the armor. <laughs> yeah. They were still winning games, Many, right? They were yes. still winning games. Yes. Then Caleb Mills goes out, and it's been a complete fall from grace. Like just all, completely, you know, at large hopes are off the table. You're going to have to win four games in four days. I don't know who the hell in their right mind could project that. When it comes to the Caleb Mills injury, though, like I I know that. That's been the running excuse, but one player cannot mean that much, cannot possibly mean that much. No, he was a 
their best on-ball defender, their best perimeter defender, but he's not Gary Payton, right? Like, you, you lost a player that was a starter that was a key part of this team, but um, if, if one player removed from a, you know, top 10, number 10 in the country team puts you where the Tigers are now, that's a there's a bigger problem there. Right. Now, when it comes to Penny Hardaway, this is what I've said off the top of the show, and I want to hear your thoughts on this. He's, he thinks of himself as a team builder, right, with what he's done in, yeah. the, in the portal and bringing in guys. And I thought there was really high hopes for this collection of talent uh, because you just saw all these guys from different programs. Some have been to the tournament. Some know how to win. Some maybe not so, not so much, but they were talented on the teams they were in. One thing I'm noticing, though, when it comes to program building, you think a guy that has been in Memphis just about his whole life, who played in Memphis, would understand – what type of culture he wants to bring in, what type of program he wants to build. I don't think he's a program builder. I think he can learn that. He can learn that along the way. But it's been a large part of the reason it has spiraled out of control is because Penny's learning on the job. But I don't think that he is building a program of real sustainability, of real consistency. And that's a frustrating reality of the situation because you thought – this guy who understands Memphis, who understands the culture, would be able to do that, no doubt. You know, going into the season, I thought that, you know, he was absolutely a culture builder, a program builder. Like, you know, his teams were based on, you know, grit, defense, um, playing tough, playing hard. Like, he had a couple, you know, obviously, as we know, top, I think, top five, top ten defensive efficiency teams in the past, even yep. before last year. And last year's team, you know, wasn't great defensively, but they, they played their asses off, right? So you're thinking, okay, if that's the culture. He's brought these guys in. They're saying all the right things. David, you know, David Jones plays hard. Javon Quinterly wants to be the leader of this team. All these things that we're hearing in the preseason and in the, um, you know, first few games of the the non-con. So you're thinking, okay, this is kind of heading in the right direction in terms of the the culture and, and what Penny's trying to do here. But man, the way this thing's kind of fallen off in terms of its foundation, like there is no, like Gabe, you said, you know, there is. What's no, the identity? Right. Exactly. There is no and identity I think that's for the word this I was team. Looking for. There's no identity for this team. And, and like, I I even go – I rewind it to the North Texas game because I think there's some things in there that that really strike me. Um, He's trying to fit a square peg in a round hole when it comes to his defensive thought process with this particular set of personnel. This personnel can't execute that. That much has been clear all year, and he continues to try to run it out there. And against North Texas – you know, he, he talks about it after the game. The first couple of things he says is the same thing he's been saying all year. Oh, we, we had a good plan. We just didn't execute it. But then you hear on the other side, Ross Hodge, the head coach, and uh, what was it? Was it Jason? They're, they're, Jason they're, Edwards. Jason Edwards. Yep, yep. He, he's talking after the game. You had asked him the question of, like, you know, what, 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 what led to all these open threes? And Jason Edwards says, yeah, yeah, Coach Hodge told us not to be surprised when we're wide open. That tells me that, that you say, okay, they didn't execute the game plan. It sounds like the game plan was faulty. Yeah, and I, I asked Jason just exactly that question. I said, hey, um, was, it, was it shocking to you? Did it throw you off when you caught the ball in the wing and there was nobody in you know, the general vicinity? Um, and he said no. <laughs> he said, you know, uh, like you said, Coach Hodge told us that, you know, don't be too alarmed, you know, if there's nobody around you. Like, that's crazy. That's nuts. That's that nuts. Crazy. That's telling. That's, that's the most telling quote from an opponent we've had all year. Him and John Bugs were, like, they weren't laughing, like, directly, but they were chuckling. They were giggling, you know, at Memphis, essentially, and that's, Man, we've seen that too many times. Like, you go back to the Temple game where Adam Fisher, yeah, they lost that game, but Temple came back from, what, down 23 to make it a, you know, yeah, I think close. A three or four-point game late. Obviously, Memphis won by seven. But after the game, you know, I asked Adam Fisher, you know, I said, what what gave you guys hope that you would claw back in? And he said, he literally said— Did you watch that South Florida game? Yeah. 
passed the laptop around. His lock, like, isn't that insane? He pulled up the box score on his laptop and passed it around to each player and said, hey, look, this team will fold. Like, that's embarrassing, man. Yes. And, again, like, it just comes back down to it. Like, I, I always talk about good coaches versus great coaches. I think we've had this conversation before, too. Good coaches will take their personnel and they'll try to make them fit a scheme, their scheme. Great coaches will take their personnel and fit a scheme around them, give them defined roles. Penny Hardaway's yet to do that with this group. This group, quite frankly, even when we saw them being recruited, it's high-octane offense. That's the thought process behind the guys that were brought in. It's never about, oh, this pressure defense where you're going to throw guys into the front court, do a full-court press to start the game. That's never what this team has been, and it's been showing itself throughout the year, yet he continues to try to pull those strings and make them fit into this style maybe the culture he's trying to build when that's not who they are as players. And I, and I look around the country, and I brought up Bill Self last Friday. Bill okay. Self this year, this is a different type of team he's dealing with. Yeah, you got the K.J. Adams, the Kevin McCullers, the Dewan Harrises. Yep. Yeah, that, that sort of fits what he's done in the past. But you have Hunter Dickinson. He's not, he's not really been big reliant. The no, guy you just throw, like it that, into no. the, throw it into the post and go let him cook. He's never done that, but he's changed it around to try to fit his personnel. Yep. Yep. And I think Penny Hardaway falls short in that, in that category. No, and I think he's, he's, he's learning, right? It's, you know, it's year six, obviously, but he's never coached at this level before. You know, he wasn't an assistant. He wasn't you know, on somebody's staff. He kind of came in um, learning on the job, which is fine. Um, but I think he kind of gets like these uh, – what is it, like the big eyes for talent, right? Yeah. Like whether it's Amani Bates in the past or, or this year, like he just wants to add and add and add. Oh, let's bring Naquan Tomlin or, you know, on. Let's, let's add Jordan Brown. Whatever it is, like he just wants to accumulate this, um, this array of talent without kind of having a, a, a plan per se, right? Without having yeah. an idea of, like you said, what shapes fit these, you know, uh, Moving outlines. pieces, well, yeah. Right, right. Like what fits what I need? Like what, is, what guys are going to fill what roles? I don't think there's... That's defined. Right. I think that's what we're seeing right now play out. Yeah. Now, as we move into the future, like, I, I'm just curious about, like, donors, NIL, what they're going to think about this year. I mean, I know you talk to a few of those guys, but it's not like, obviously, they're not going to give you, show you their hand fully. Right. But you, you got to imagine there's some frustration. There, you got to imagine there's a lot of frustration from the people that are giving big money to the guys on the floor that aren't really showing up. Yeah, I mean, you, you you would think so for sure, especially when last offseason, Penny pretty much said without saying, hey, you know, I need more help. I need more NIL. Yep. I need more resources. And the resources came. You know, he got this loaded, talent-wise, loaded roster. Um, you know, if you had to kind of prod, I'm assuming, if you had to kind of prod those people to get those checks, you know, back in whatever, June or July. It'd be a lot harder this offseason. Like, what is it going to take this offseason, right, when the results aren't matching up what those numbers say on the checks? You know, and that's something that um, is going to be interesting because – a lot of these guys won't be back. Like, you've got right. – I'm looking at the roster right now. You've got six guys that can come back, and those are the two freshmen, you know, Carl Sharonfont and Ashton Hardaway. You've got uh, Nick Jordan has an extra year. David Jones has another year. Jalen Young and then um, Jonathan Pierre. Like, even with that group, you know, David Jones could go play – you know, try to go do the NBA thing or go play pro somewhere else. He's a pro. He's going to go get and paid. And quite so. frankly, the, the, I've, I've heard some people sort of talk about, oh, David Jones could come back for another year. I don't know if that would make full sense. Okay, maybe if he's a no, second-round pick and you, get that, and you get that two-way and you get that two-way deal. Uh-huh. But in the end of the day, like, if we're talking about prospects and, and where he's at as a prospect, I don't know if coming back for another year would make a whole lot of sense for him unless he's getting the same exact opportunities and it's a winning team next year. 
Like, and I For think sure. you're putting a lot there out there on the table because the truth of the matter is the reason he has been so good and the reason he's raised his stock is that three-point shooting. Let's be honest, right? 41% from yes. three. The efficiency's mm-hmm. way higher. Yep. Can you, I mean, it's hard to replicate that going into next year. I'm not, I'm not ruling it out right. if he does return to the University of Memphis. But, damn, 41% from three is something he's never done in his career until this year. Can he do that again? No, I mean, that'd be... It'd be hard to replicate, like you just said. And at first, I thought you meant that it wouldn't make sense for for Memphis for Penny to bring him back. No, it would make plenty would, of sense for Memphis I to would, bring him back. Man, of course, that would be the first guy I would recruit. Like, for, yes, hundred percent. Portal, forget anything else. Like, I would. Be I'm saying for for David, David Jones, Jones to come back for a year. I don't know how no, much sense that 100%. makes. Hundred percent. I think his stock is, you know, it's it's not still, as high as still, it could be. It's still rising. There's NBA scouts. Like, there's more and more at these games as we're you know winding down the season. Um, who knows? Like by the time this is all said and done, he could be a I don't know a late first rounder, early second, and, and you know if you're David Jones, you got to think, hey, like is it worth the risk of coming back? Um, you know, not putting up the same numbers perhaps, or you know being on a team that doesn't win again. Who knows? Like there's no certainty um, for him to come back. I guess. No, holler at me about the post game remarks. Like that's that's what I want to get to with you because you were there right in front of him. You saw the tone. You saw his uh, what what the the you know his facial. Um, tone, if you will, like what what jumped off the page? What were the quotes that you that you saw? And it just whether it was positive, negative, indifferent, like what what jumped off for you? I mean, the first one obviously is the you know effing losing like this. This is terrible, man. This is not competing at all. I don't know what's going on. I think that's the one that's that the I, one that's terrifying that that jumped out. All of it, all of what we just said, you know, it's terrifying. Uh, man, it's it's February nineteenth, um, and for you to say essentially like I don't really know what the issue is like why are the players not competing i mean obviously what we saw is on the players as well oh it's most i I think yesterday was mostly on the players but at the end of the day who does that who's that a reflection of the head coach right i mean part of i mean part of thing part of coaching is getting guys to buy in and getting guys to do what you say you want them to do and you know so far penny has not been able to do that this season one thing that really got me though I think more so than anything else, and there was a lot that that, that just bothered me about his postgame remarks. Talked about two separate teams when Caleb Mills right. went out. It's not two separate teams. Same. It's it's the same team minus Caleb Mills. Yeah. And adding Jordan Brown back into the floor. like, it really is the same team. One person. We and we already talked about this. One person cannot possibly, if you want to be a successful head coach or a successful program, one person cannot. Just complete, especially a bench player too. At that, that's what Caleb Mills was doing. He, he, he was a, I know he, he was a starter. He played. He played he starter played minutes, off the but bench, he played but he off of man. the bench. Like, like, let's be honest. <laughs> one guy that was coming off the bench for you cannot mean the end of a season. Cannot no. completely derail an entire season. This is the way I interpreted what he said, because he mentioned three things. He mentioned Caleb Mills going out. He mentioned Naquan Tomlin being added, whatever that was, December fifteenth, sixteenth. I can't remember, but whenever that was. And he mentioned Jordan Brown coming back. And he said all those things. Uh, we're all moving pieces that he had to, I guess, retinker his team and, and line up around. You know, he brought those guys back. Yeah. He chose to add Naquan Tomlin. He chose to, you know, welcome Jordan Brown. Like, nobody else is the – there's no other GM, right, yeah. orchestrating all this or, or doing any of this. Like, he made those choices, and I understand, like, it's not um, – couldn't have been easy to retinker everything in freaking January, but those were the risks that you knew you are going to take when you're trying to, you know, bring these guys along. Uh, halfway into the season. Mm-hmm. Now, what's wrong with Javon Quinterly? Like, uh, the inconsistencies are just 
kind of insane at this point. And I, th- I remember earlier in the season when uh, when it was you know posed to Nate Oates about you know the point guard position, and he brought it up. He said, you know, I like that I have a point guard that shows up every night. And obviously that was a shot at Javon Quinterly, and a lot of Memphis fans and people in this orbit were frustrated and annoyed by that comment. But I hate to say it, it's shown it's shown to be pretty damn true. It's shown to be Javon Quinterly when he's good, he's great. When he's bad, he is one of the main reasons you're losing ball games. Yeah, it's tough because, you know, he's the straw that stirs the drink, and we've talked about this even before the season began, that yeah. David Jones would be the, you know, maybe the, the best player, but Javon Quinterly The quote-unquote head of the snake, right? Exactly. He'd be the head of the snake. He'd be the guy that, you know, um, is orchestrating things on offense. He'd be the guy that's the leader in the locker room, all of that. And, you know, when that guy doesn't appear to be, you know, fully locked in at this point in time, it's it's hard to do much of anything. It's weird, though, man. With Javon, it, it seems like it's a recent fall. Is that fair to say? It's a recent fall-off. Like, this is a, you know, past, I don't know, past two, three-game thing. North Texas was a rough game, and um, this past one was beyond rough, obviously. Uh, but before that, it seemed like he was finding his stride again. He had a great game yep. at Temple, had a great game against Tulane, and I don't know what happened between, you know. It feels like it sort of dates back six games, I'd say, like Rice. Rice was really the first the first big moment where you're like, first oh, my game. gosh. Yes, correct. What in the correct. hell is happening with this guy right this second? That was the moment where you're just like, damn. If he's not going to show up, you're not going to win ball games. No, for sure. And even then, you could, you know, if you're kind of playing devil's advocate, you can attribute that to, okay, the team's in a slump. They, right. You know, they, they lost against It South wasn't Florida just Javon Quinterly. Right. So you can say, okay, it's kind of uh, infectious. There's a negative mindset. The vibes aren't good. But then you bounce back. You know, you beat Wichita State. You rally back. You beat Temple. Not really convincing, but whatever. Then you come back home and you, you really smack Tulane. The score doesn't show it, but they, they smack the hell out of that team. And you're saying all the right things. You're saying, hey, we're, we're together. Yeah. We're hanging out. We're kicking it. Um, Javon saying the right things, David Jones is, Penny is, everybody is, you're hearing all these good things. And then, you know, uh, four days later from February 11th against Tulane to the 15th um, in Denton against North Texas, like, what what happened, you know? There's just no explanation for uh, things to fall off the map um, where his performance is concerned and his kind of his, his mentality and the way he looks on the court. I didn't think that I'd be saying this at any point during this season, but we're now at a point, and I look at last year's team as a as a point of emphasis. And maybe, you know, I think there's some things to be, to sort of point back to. Kendrick Davis was always a part of this conference, and he understood, you know, Memphis as a whole and understood it. Maybe Javon Quinterly and David Jones and all these guys at the top of the roster don't understand it the same way. But I never thought I'd say this. A guy like Jaquan Walton, when he was recruited, 14 points per game, 40% from three. He was unbelievable. Wichita State, even on a bad team, but still, he was very good, very efficient as a scorer. He's been terrible this year. Guys like Keontae Kennedy, guys like Elijah McCadden, I'd trade them out. I'd trade Jaquan Walton out for those guys in in a heartbeat at this particular moment. And I never thought, at least from a talent perspective, I'd be saying anything close to that this year. It's crazy that fans are saying that those things now on Twitter, you know, underneath the comments of my stories, whatever. Uh, man, obviously the, the talent, we've talked about this, the talent on this team is, is much greater, I think, than last year's team. Yes, again, collective talent. 100%. But I think even with lesser talent, it, it might be easier getting those guys. It is easier to get those yeah. guys to buy in and saying, hey, look, this is your alpha, Kendrick Davis. This is your second best player, DeAndre Williams, and everybody else kind of get it 
how you can get it. You know? <laughs> how, how much do you buy into Penny sort of talking about, okay, these guys are coming from losing programs, and this is that sort of where wild. we're at? That, that was something. Like, because David Jones was not in a good spot. Oh, man. Um, Jaquan Walton, not in a good spot. Um, Nick Jordan, not in a good spot. Although I think he, I, I don't know if it's fair to group lump him directly in with, oh, losing player, losing pro. No, he, I think he's a winning player when he's playing at the peak of his ability and when he's getting in, in there and has a solid role and understands yep. what he's going to do. Because there was a point during the season where he's the most efficient player in college basketball. You can't forget that. No doubt. But what did you think about that? I mean, that was directly like, hey, these few guys that were, uh, you know, alphas on bad teams, let me throw them directly under these tires of this bus. Yeah, I don't look. I don't buy that. I know people think there's something to that or whatever, and maybe there is. But look at last year. Like Elijah McCadden came from Georgia Southern, fine, winning program, but at a much lower level. Keontae Kennedy, UTEP. Like that list kind of goes on and on. Uh, Demarie Franklin, that wasn't a yeah. winning program. <laughs> UIC, UIC, come on now. Like and those guys bought in. Those guys, you know, kind of fell in line. If you know, if you will, if you want to use that phrase, like, um, it's hard to kind of use that excuse if you know if you want to call it that when we just saw it work last year. Yeah, but again, I think it comes back to program building and finding culture. And I think Kendrick Davis and DeAndre Williams supersede anything we've seen from any of these players on this team. And as far as that is concerned, being vocal leaders, understanding Memphis, understanding the culture, understanding what Penny wants. And being those guys. Yeah. Okay. We can, we can, you know, throw away a little bit of the talent and the acquisition of the talent this year for guys that understand the culture and understand winning at this level at the University of Memphis. No, thousand percent. And, you know, Penny's kind of alluded to it. Like, those guys were willing to step on toes and hold guys accountable and say, hey, this is the way we're going to do it if we're going to win games. And, you know, there was a struggle at first, but eventually people listened. And you saw the end product, which was a team that was underseeded and kind of got shafted in the NCAA tournament, but one that was performing like a top 20 team by every single metric that you can find. And this team is what? 90th, I believe, in Ken Palm. Last yeah, I checked, something I ridiculous. In the net. Like, it, this is crazy, man. This, is, this yeah. is absurd. And I think Penny said that, you know, there is no kind of bad cop, no guy that's willing to step up and say, hey, look, you know, shut the hell up and this is how we're going to do it. <laughs> Nobody said that, according and, to Penny. And even with the non con <laughs> and the 11 and 2 and 10th and the AP poll, the metrics of, uh, you know, Bart Torvik, the net, Ken Palm have never been favorable for the Tigers. And, I, you know, I've been wondering all year. And me and you have had this covered. Like, why is that the case? We see why that's the case. Yeah. We see it. And, I, I mean, I even had a run-in with Bart Torvik last week. I saw that. Because <laughs> the Tigers were 93rd in Bart Torvik and, and a 13-10 and 10 North Texas team who was a spot below them in the AAC standings was, what, 54th. Like, I was wondering why that's the case. That one surprised then, me. As well. Then you see the game and how it plays out on the floor. And you say, damn. These predictive metrics actually kind of make sense, and there's a reason that these metrics never look favorable for the Tigers. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, they did rise to, like, 27th after that three-game stretch where they beat, you know, Texas A&M, Clemson, Virginia. They had gotten to 27th in, the, in Ken Palm and 26th in the net, and, you know, they were, they were trending upward. They had a chance to break into that top 20 if that performance continued. Obviously, it did not, and we see things fall off the map now, but that is interesting. Like, you know, the... The offensive deficient, right. uh, the offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency ratings, and how they go about it, these metrics, it does show a whole lot. It does show plenty, and it does sort of predict future results. And we've seen that. No, it is, it is fascinating how like all that stuff that you know some of us said you know may not be true or kind of denied, like is is coming to fruition. It's 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 sad, but it's true. 
Yeah, yeah. Now, what did you uh, what did you think moving off the Tigers? What did you think of those top sixteen that the selection committee revealed on Saturday? We had Purdue, UConn, Arizona, and Houston as the one seeds, two seeds, Tennessee, North Carolina. Shout out, shout out, <laughs> and then Kansas and Marquette. What did you think about those sixteen that the that the committee laid out there? I think they got it pretty much right. Like those are the the teams that have been shuffled in and out of that that top sixteen range in the AP poll anyway, and you know teams with the best body of work and that kind of thing. So I think you know. Overall, I had no qualms with it. Yeah. No, the only qualm I had was uh, Purdue being over UConn as the number one overall. See, it doesn't quite matter because it There's figured itself out. That. There's two It figured itself out, though, because yep. Purdue ended up losing the next day, and, and we had, uh, we had uh, UConn hammer Marquette. Hammer Marquette, 81-53. And then now, obviously, I think they'd be the—they were unanimous at the top of the AP Top 25. They were, yes. And— I think they're the unanimous favorite to be the top overall seed come tournament time. Yeah, no doubt. I think those two teams are on a different tier from the rest. You know, we thought Kansas was a part of that tier, and, you know, that's been shaky. Uh, Houston's been good, but Houston hasn't really, you know, uh, hasn't really put together the body of work that Purdue and UConn have, so I think that's kind of the difference there. But, um, yeah, I think there's two ways to look at that with Purdue and UConn. Purdue has, what, they're 15-2, and I think, in the first two quadrants. Yep. Um, UConn's playing better – Better ball right now. That is nuts. Man. <laughs> UConn's playing better ball right now, but um, in terms of, I guess the entire resume, the entire body of work, what the the teams have done throughout the season, I think Purdue takes the the crown there. Yeah, but then it's just like, okay, you're playing in the Big Ten conference play. You sort of you just get helped by who you're playing day in day out. They've beaten teams in the non conference. I get it. I understand. I understand. I'm not hating on them. Right. I'm not hating them. Right. But I, I do think there is something to that. Whereas, like the you know, just generally speaking, the Big Ten's deeper than the Big East. And they just For have sure. more teams that are going to be considered, you know, quad one wins because the net just sort of favors teams oh, that are in bigger conferences. Yes, yes, yes. No, yes. they have more opportunities before yes. they're going to get more anyway. No, yeah, no that they're sense. taking those opportunities and they're turning and them into wins consistently. Them. They only have I'm not, not going to yeah. hate on them. Yeah. And I think they've no. gotten a yes. lot better like guard play this year. That's why they're a better team, and that's why I don't think they'll bow out to Fairleigh Dickinson this year. No. But um, – they they have taken advantage of of what's in front of them. No, I'll give them their credit for that. And, and taken very very few lumps, and you know, got to give them a shout out for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We thought at one point the Tigers could potentially be in this conversation, huh? At least in that top four or five seed conversation, yeah. you know. Yeah. Now it's going to be yeah. four games in four days, huh? Yeah, and I don't look. I don't know what happens. Like if you know, if if they come up short, like does that mean? An IT, like, will they accept an IT? That, bid? That's what I, I want to bounce that off you. We're not will talking they? CBI yet, Arby. No, 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 we're not talking <laughs> CBI. This is an NIT team, probably a mid middling seed in the NIT, right? Right, this second, so especially if they drop a couple more because they have FAU twice on the rest of the schedule. Would they like? I I question it, and I know it's like kind of ridiculous when you think about a team that has won three tournament games. Yep. Since Cal left. Like that's insane. That's an insane. Like I, I when you that. actually yep. put that to your brain, you're just like, how is that? How's that real? How does that make any sense? But that's the truth of it. When you say, okay, will that team accept an NIT bid, or they feel like they're above it? It feels like they shouldn't be above it. But I wonder about this team, man. I wonder if guys are just going to want to say, man, I, you know, the Javon Quinterly's, the David Jones, other guys in the, on this team that have no more eligibility left. Let me let me work on my pro. My pro status at this point. Yeah, it's kind of like the in college football, the, the bowl game opt-outs. Right? Yes, exactly. Like, like, like guys look at those bowl if, games. If too many guys opt out, do I really want to play in the NIT? Like yeah. that's where you go. And we saw now North Carolina was the number one overall seed last right. year, last right. year, and they, or, they and they the AP out. poll. Yes. 
and they ended up opting but out. So I think before. that's completely different, though. It should it should be different. But I do question it. I'm not going to act like I don't question it. I absolutely question it. And I think you're right. It should be different. Um, but, man, like, based on what Penny said about these these guys' mental makeups and personalities, quite frankly, like, it's hard Does to... Does Penny just want to be done with it? Like, and I exactly. just want to move on to the offseason. Yeah, and let me, let me go recruit. I, instead of instead of me participating in the NIT, can I get an early beat on some of these transfer portal guys? Maybe that's a thought process. There's money for the university involved, too, so it may not just be Penny and the team, right? It may yeah. be somebody, you know, whether it's... Laird Veach or the, you know, whatever. And then also, I, I do question, and Mark Giannato brought this up to me, being that there's going to be tournament games in Memphis, would they able to be able to play home games That's, in the NIT? Yeah, I'm not sure how the schedule for that works out, but yeah, there are. So there's you know, a lot of things that are coming to the court, table, and yeah. you're like, yeah, you know, I don't think they should deny an NIT bid, uh, you know, considering the way things have gone, show a little bit of fight, but at the same time, there's a lot of things sort of working against that, that, no thought, that, that, no that thought process. For sure. But Parth, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks. Great man. stuff. Fun as always. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens the rest of this year. Ooh. But I am at the point and I like real quick. Sure. Rest of these regular season games, do they mean anything? Do they really mean anything? If there is indeed some magical turnaround, right? Right. Then they do. Because then you gotta get momentum. You can't just like lose these five games, all of a sudden show up in Fort Worth and yeah, say, I get oh, that. we're fixed. Let's go win. I get that. But I, happen, I'm talking dude. about just like metric wise getting to the, the NCAA tournament. No, of do course they not. mean anything? Of Nothing. Because even if you win the next five, you're not you're done, man. Like yeah. that large is. But if you done. beat FAU you on yesterday. the road, for example, and build confidence heading into the tournament, maybe we could think differently. I'm not gonna do that though. It, it's, I, it's more of a morale builder than a tangible you know, gain, right, yeah. winning these games. It's, so, it's all morale that's building. Right. It's all morale <laughs> it's building. All morale <laughs> for sure. Well, Parth, I appreciate oh, it, man. man. Great stuff, as always. Yes, that's Parth Upadhyay. He is the Daily Memphian beat reporter for the Tiger basketball team. He is on X at P. Upadhyay. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.